This is Leewood Online, a ministry of Leewood Baptist Church, located in the Kansas City area. For more information about us, visit us online at www.leewoodbaptist.com. Good morning. I'm Kaylee Dykstra, Joel's other half. And today we'll be reading from Matthew 6, 25 through 34, which can be found on page 811 in the Pew Bibles. Matthew 6, 25 through 34, on page 811. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Thank you, Dykstras. I'm in the Dykstras small group, so it's fun to see them both up here. So I guess with me preaching, it's just the Dykstra Small Group Day, all right? If I've not met you, it's great to see you this morning. I'm Jimmy, and um, it's fun to be able to be here this morning because the passage kind of fits, because your fear might be, what would happen if my pastor got COVID and he called me kind of last second and asked me to preach? Um, And so this just kind of fits in with the day. And then I find out that today is World Mental Health Day. And it just all comes together, doesn't it? It's just incredible. So it's a joy to be here. And uh, I believe that God has a passage for us, which will speak very, very deeply to our hearts. So I reached out to just a bunch of friends this week and to Chris and my friend Lou and others and said, all right, share, share with me the way that God has really used this passage in, in just your life and your heart. And so I'm just very, very grateful for those friends who've spoken of this. So uh, I trust you'll hear from God's Word, but I trust you'll hear also uh, the words and thoughts of other friends. Um, But this is a powerful passage, and I think that it speaks very, very deeply to us. So let's pray before we jump in here. Father, we thank you that you do see us in the midst of our struggles. We thank you that you see us in the midst of our anxiety, our fears, our worries, our depression. You were there. Father, we're asking for a divine work to take place in our hearts this day. And we know that we can't do it. We can't work this up in our own self-working. So we have to rely upon your Holy Spirit. So we're asking that by your Spirit that you would speak deeply 
to our hearts, our minds, our souls this day. We need this Word. And so we pray that it would be alive, powerful, and real. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Michael Loggins is a developmentally challenged adult. He lives in San Francisco. Because of his challenges in life, he has a great deal of fear. He has a lot of things that just bring him to the point where he feels like he's on the edge of a cliff. And so Michael began to think, maybe the best way to work through my fears and to conquer my fears would be to list my fears. So he began to write down his fears, and in his childlike way, because he has, in one sense, the mind of a child, he drew pictures to go with each of his fears. The list grew to 10, and then 20, and then 50, then 100, then 138, with a picture to go with each one. It's interesting because people heard about Michael's list. Eventually, it was published and became a book called The Fears of Your Life. It became an exhibit in San Francisco in an art gallery. People began to just see these pictures and the things that he had, these fears, and it just caused people to begin to talk a lot more about what are those things that you're afraid of. Michael was afraid of being knocked over the head and people taking his money. He said he was afraid of speeding cars. He was afraid of mean people, monsters, and giraffes. What, what are your fears? What are the things that you're afraid of? When you think about, okay, the things that create anxiety within me, the things I worry about, the things that I fear, what are they? It's interesting because I think that at different stages of life, we have those different fears. As a child, it might be, you know, that there's, there's a monster in my closet. That might be the big fear. I was very blessed as a child. I never had that fear because I was worried about the man under the bed. That was my fear. But thank God in my house, the, my bedspread was a force field. I don't know about your household, but as long as I was there, I was safe. When you're a teenager, you're going to have fears. How do I look? How do people think about me? Did I just say something stupid? Am I accepted? Am I, am I, in, a, a, you know, am I in the right crowd? When you're at that stage where you're young adult, you're starting to think, okay, am I, what's my purpose going to be in life? Am I going to be able to find a job that gives me purpose? Will I be able to find love? What happens if, if I get married? Is that going to work out? It's interesting because so much of our fear and anxiety is about money, which is what we talked about just a few, few weeks ago as far as that where your heart is, where your money is, that's, you know, that's where we are. And this all ties together because especially in middle age, you have huge fears. And mostly in middle age, our fears are about losing. Losing my hair, losing my figure, losing my health, losing my job, losing my home, losing my mind in some cases. When you're an older adult, you begin to have those fears. Can I, can I retire? Do I have enough money to retire? When I die, will I be remembered? When I die, will anybody care? Fear lives in a lot of different time zones. It lives oftentimes in the past and sometimes in the present. But more than anything, fear and anxiety and worry live in the future. Because it, oftentimes we're trying to predict the future. I have worry about this. I have anxiety about this. So in my mind, I'm trying to predict what is yet to come. So we come to this great passage in the Sermon on the Mount. And we've been going through this message. And it's such a powerful word from the Lord Jesus Christ 
to us. We took a small break just to talk about the church and small groups and the context of community, and now we're back in this amazing, amazing passage. I don't feel like I have to spend a lot of time trying to convince you that this is a big topic, especially over the past 18 months. This topic has impacted essentially everybody. This week, I heard this very, very, very strong conference. It was done by George Barna, and he does research, and he knows all the algorithms and the Google searches. The top Google search in Kansas City over the past 18 months, the number one search on Google is this, why am I feeling so depressed? Number one, in Kansas City, past 18 months. It's on our minds. It's right there. I have no doubt that in this room there are those who you feel absolutely overwhelmed by just anxiety and stress. You might be depressed. You might be on meds. And you just feel like, I just feel like the world is overwhelming me right now. What's also crazy about this is so much of what we feel is circular and it just goes around and around. I feel sad oftentimes because I feel sad. And I feel more and more fear because I can't stop feeling fearful. I feel depressed because I'm depressed over being depressed. And it just begins to feed itself. And it goes around and around. And these things just feed each other. So today we're going to talk about three very basic realities of life. Anxiety, worry, and fear. Three things that I'm sure that have just an impact upon our lives almost every day. And we're going to talk about how the promises of God and how the gospel impacts each one of these. So the outline for this day is this. You're going to have to listen because this might be a bit confusing. We're going to talk about the fear of anxiety. We're going to talk about the anxiety of worry. And then we're going to talk about the worry of fear because they all impact each other And then how the gospel impacts each one of these. So first of all, the fear of anxiety. The word for anxiety in the Greek is interesting because it means to be divided. It means that your mind goes a thousand different ways. You see, we long for peace in our heart, and anxiety is essentially the opposite of peace. Anxiety has got the potential to draw us much closer to the Lord, but anxiety also has got the potential to push us far, far away. We experience anxiety because we are certain that there will be suffering in our future. We know that this is right around the corner. But you see, the worst thing that we can say is, okay, just don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. Just tell my heart to stop being anxious. What's a little bit tough, though, to be very straightforward with you, is that in this passage, three times, there are those four words. And oftentimes, we read those words out of context. Those four words are, do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. And so we read those words and we think, wait, wait, wait just a second. That, that just makes me feel more and more anxious, the fact that those words are there. Because is this not denying reality? Okay, wait a second. Do not be anxious. What about those in Haiti right now that are in the midst of COVID, that are in the midst of famine, that are in the midst of so many difficulties? What about those in Afghanistan that are, who are, might still be Christians and might still be in hiding. And we're saying, hey, to those people, don't be anxious. What about those in the house church in China? What about those who are homeless in Kansas City? We could go on and on. What about those people? We say to them, don't be anxious, really? Doesn't that feel just a little bit insensitive? Because of course they're going to have some worry and some emotion. So how do they deal with those things? How do you stop being anxious? Boy, I wish the answer was simple. 
First of all, I think the thing we have to do is we have to go a little bit deeper. What causes us to be anxious? And I think the thing that that leads us to is to answer the question, what do we value most in life? In what things do you place your trust? In what things do you love them so much that if those things were gone, they could not be replaced? Those things are essentially the idols of your heart. An idol can be a good thing which we make into the ultimate thing. And if we make it into the ultimate thing and we think, well, if I lost my children, if I lost my job, if I lost my health, whatever it might be, my life would be devastated, then that tells us that that thing is an idol. So often an idol in our lives, and I know in my life, is I want to be in control. Which oftentimes means if I go down just a little bit lower through the layers, it means I have a hard time trusting that God is in control. And if I go down beyond that, I have to confess, God, oftentimes I think I have a better plan for my life than you do. It leads us to a hard place. You see, Jesus doesn't offer tips and techniques to be better and to stop worrying. He doesn't. Three times he points to the fact that it's God. Okay, here's the birds of the air. It's God. Here's these flowers of the field. It's God. And here's all of your needs. The things from, you know, the Gentiles. I know all these things. It's going to be God. He points us. It's incredible, though, that that, God does care for us in that way, it's incredible that he cares for the birds of the air. It's, it's amazing. Just that passage. Look at the birds of the air. The Lord cares for them. They don't sow, they don't reap, they don't store in the barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds him. Are you not more valuable than they are? I mean, God has created a world in which birds can eat seeds and buds and berries and fruit and insects and eggs eggs and small mammals and fish and bugs and acorns and nuts and aquatic vegetation and grain, dead animals, garbage, so much more. They're not worried about where it's going to come from. God amazingly feeds them. The only way to grasp this is if you have this eternal perspective. Because no matter where you are, no matter what your circumstances, while the worry and anxiety and fears are very, very real, it's only in the midst of eternity that this makes sense. So often we pull these verses out of context. So we say, hey, do not be anxious, do not be anxious, do not be anxious. And you think, that makes me feel more anxious. It's interesting because Paul is one of those ones who says, hey, don't be anxious. Philippians 4, 6. You know what? Don't, do not be anxious. So we're like, okay. That's Paul the apostle. I mean, he's, he's the guy that's got a good word. We're going to trust in Paul. So in 2 Corinthians 11, he tells us that he's been through some hard things in life. And he tells us in this amazing way. Starting off in verse... 24. He says, I've endured a lot as a believer. And he talks about the fact I've been shipwrecked. I've been on the open sea three times. I've been stoned. I've been flogged. I've been naked. I've been hungry. I've been thirsty. I've been in danger in the city. I've been in danger in the wilderness. I've been in danger anywhere you can think of. My life in so many ways has been full of just so much pain and hurt. And then he says this amazing thing. And apart from these other things, Apart from all of this, in other words, as a capstone, if you think that is bad, as a capstone is the ultimate, there is within me the anxiety of caring for all the churches. 
That's Paul the Apostle. All of these things in life, the capstone, the thing that causes me the most just fear in my life is the anxiety that I feel for caring for all the churches. And we think, wait a second, you're the Apostle Paul. You're the guy that said, do not be anxious. And now you're saying, you are anxious. What's the deal? Listen, there is anxiousness in life. There is fear in life. There is worry in life. And if we deny that, we will be absolutely crazy people. Because it's there. It's real. The question is, how do we see God in a bigger way? How do we balance things out so that we can see the truths of God and the promises of God, not just the commands of God? Because when we just share commands, it's going to lead us to a place of tremendous heartache and pain. And so let's look at what Paul says when he says, do not be anxious, because there's a much fuller context. He says, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication and with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then here's this amazing promise. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's the promise. God's peace is bigger than our anxieties. And the promise is that if we look to him, that there is this peace of God which will guard our heart. There is a command, do not be anxious, but there is a promise. The promise is that the peace of God will guard your heart. So we look first to him. We seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto us. We see God in a bigger way. Last week, we heard a lot about this from Adam when he preached about the grace of God and the lavishness of the grace of God being poured out upon us. The kindness of Jesus is greater than the anxiety of our souls. Point number two, the anxiety of worry. There's a lot of worry in the world. Maybe some of you are really worried about the Chiefs game tonight, right? It's going to be okay. I had a dream and the Chiefs win big. Anyway, <laughs> maybe you're not worried. Maybe you're not worried for all the wrong reasons. There's a lot of bad reasons not to be worried. Maybe you have created a false idol of security by trying to surround yourself with things that you think will keep you safe, and you think to yourself, I don't have to worry. If I am financially secure, if I live in a safe neighborhood, if I have a good job, if I drive a safe car, if I worship a safe God, you know what? Then all of these things will make it okay. You have become risk-adverse. Some of you think, I just want to stay away from all risky situations. But when you do that, you are essentially wasting your life because God never promised to keep us insulated from the troubles of life. He promised to be with us in the midst of the heartaches in life. You see, safety is a myth. We don't know what this day holds. We have to trust in the fact that God is a sovereign God, which means that if it's your time, it's your time. If God wants you to drown in an inch of water, you will drown in an inch of water. You can survive for days on the open sea if it is not God's time to take you. That's what, that's what Paul did because it wasn't his time. God is sovereign. God is in control. And we have to be able to trust these things. But we also have to know that the Christian life is a risk. Now, this doesn't mean that we test God. This doesn't mean that we do crazy things and we take these risks which aren't necessary. But it does mean that we say, God, take me to those places in life which might be very uncomfortable. It does mean that we go through life with this deep sense of trust 
that God is sovereign and that God is completely in control. Worry is an interesting thing because worry for a lot of people is just one step towards depression. And you talk about depression and it's a hard conversation. Here's a stat that is heartbreaking to me, but it is true. Research done by actually Fuller Seminary, and they said in the past 18 months, 70% of pastors say that they have felt depressed. 70% of pastors have experienced depression over the past 18 months. And you think, well, that's not good news for me because I thought pastors were supposed to be the ones that were generally okay. Pastors have the same issues as everybody else here. These past 18 months have been incredibly difficult. They've been hard. It's been a very hard time for pastors. It's been a time in which we've struggled. You know, the Bible speaks to depression so clearly. And there are lots of things here that we could say, but let me just say this. There are nine types of psalms. I love the psalms. The psalms are so real and so raw. There are nine types. There are royal psalms and psalms about just about the fact that God has saved us in amazing ways. There are psalms of thanksgiving and enthronement and praise and trust and wisdom and repentance and lament. Deep, deep sorrow. Deep, deep pain. So you think, okay, nine types, 150 psalms. That means there should be approximately 15 of each types of these psalms, right? Psalms of lament, there's more than 60. There's more than 60 psalms of lament in Scripture. You see, the psalms are so realistic. It's a myth. It's a myth when we say the Christian should not be depressed. Hey, if you're a Christian, you shouldn't be depressed. The truth is, Christians can be depressed. They do struggle with burnout. They do struggle with just extreme anxiety. The problem is, all too often we try to deal with it, or we're told to deal with it in a very surface manner. Hey, just toughen up. Just pray more. Just depend upon Jesus, which absolutely only makes us feel worse. I'm not encouraging a pity party, but I'm saying that we need to be we need to learn to be real with our emotions. Have you felt depressed? Have you felt like your life was at the end? Have you felt like your life was in a dark hole and you didn't know what to do? You're in good company. Moses, ask God to blot him out of the book of life. Can you think about that story about Moses? We don't talk about that one often. And then Abraham said, that there was a dreadful and great darkness that fell upon him. Jacob wept for days and days, refusing any comfort. Isaiah said, I am completely undone. Jeremiah said, I wish that I had never been born. He reached the point of saying, God, you are a deceitful brook. Your waters that fail. He said, God, you have deceived me. You have overpowered me. You have also Elijah. He came to this brook and sat down underneath a broom tree and he prayed and said, Lord, I've had enough. Take my life. And then Jonah said, Lord, for me, death would be better than life. And David, so much. He and his people wept until there was no strength left. I mean, they just couldn't weep anymore. 
He said, I am troubled. I am bowed down greatly. I go about mourning all day long. I groan because of the turmoil of my soul. Job, his, his struggles are very, very well known. Even Jesus in the garden prayed, and in the midst of it, he said, I am in great distress. Life can be overwhelming. Life can be hard. And yet Jesus, in the midst of all of these things, says, if you need release from anxiety and guilt and worry and stress, it's not a program. It's this, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. That's a promise from Jesus. When you do feel overwhelmed, come to me and I will give you rest. So there's an antidote for your overloaded soul. It's not a plan for time management. It's not another week in veil, and it's not being in bed by 9 o'clock at night. It's a person. It's Jesus. Jesus said, come to me. Maybe you're here today as a visitor. We're so glad you're here. And there's one part of you that says, I, I, I don't believe any of this. But I know that there's another part of your soul deep down inside that says something is terribly, terribly wrong. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is the only answer. And we need what Jesus can bring. Peace, rest, restoration, communion, repentance, renewal. Third, there's the worry of fear. You see, before you knew the Lord Jesus Christ, you had one enemy, one enemy, and it was God. You resisted him. That was your one enemy. After you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you've got three enemies. You've got the world, you've got the flesh, and you've got Satan. Those are the three things that fight against you. It's interesting, the word for Satan is diablo, which means prosecutor. That's an interesting word because the main job of Satan is not to tempt you. The main job of Satan is to accuse you. That's what he loves doing, accusing you. You aren't good enough. The fact that you worry, the fact that you have anxiety, you are not a good person. That is Satan accusing us. It's October. It's Pastor Appreciation Month. I hope you're extra nice to all of our pastors uh, this month, right? And uh, I, I always laugh at that because it's like Mother's Day. Every day should be Mother's Day, right? Every month should be Pastor Appreciation Month, but October is especially Pastor Appreciation Month. So I hope that you will take time this week, you know, and actually this month to make sure that you pray for and thank in some special way Chris and Adam and Jason and Stephen. There is a radio station that is a, a, a Christian radio station, and uh, not right now because we're still like you know in the midst of COVID. But for years and years, they would have these big, big lunches, and it was a pastor appreciation lunch, and they would have one every day throughout October in all these big, big you know areas. And so they would you know have this luncheon you know for for all these pastors. They would have somebody that was you know you know like actually on their shows speak, and so. They would have Andy Stanley speak, you know, at this place and this big name and over here. And uh, there was a time just a few years ago where uh, they had one lunch and they called all of their, you know, all like just like everybody in the radio, uh, nobody was available. Uh, th then they called everybody on the B team and nobody was available. 
And then they got down to my level, and they, they called me and said, hey, we're, we're desperate. Uh, we've got this one spot, and we can't find the speaker. Would you speak for Pastor Appreciation Month? Because there's this big lunch, and there's going to be a bunch of pastors. It's a big deal. And I thought, you know what? I'm available. I'll, I'll do it. So I went to this, this, this spot, and it was in a very, very, very nice location. It was in the big city. I was just I was excited. I thought, wow, this is, this is a big deal. Right before I got up to speak, the CEO of this big station, and, and I learned that he goes to one spot every day. Every day he has a flight, and he'll go to you know, this city, and then this city, this city. So for a month, he's in a spot every day. And he stood up before I spoke, and he gave a message. And he said that that was the message that God, you know, that he had really just kind of prayed through, and that God put, you know, put like on his heart that day, which I don't exactly believe, because we had staff that were at these other lunches around the country, and we know he gave this same message every day for a month, the exact same message. And it always bothers a speaker when you're about to speak and somebody stands up and they essentially give a message before you give the message. You know, it's like, okay, I'm supposed to be the speaker, but you just gave a talk for about 15 minutes. So he stood up and he said this. He said, you know, I just want you to know that I was praying this morning and God laid a message on my heart. And I want you to know what this message was. Here's the message. Do not be afraid. That's the message. It's on the screen. You can see it. That was his message. And he said, you know, it's amazing, but in the book of Genesis, if you go through the book of Genesis, you can see that 12 times the words are there, do not be afraid. And then in the book of Exodus, and when he said Exodus, I thought, oh my goodness, is he going to go through the entire Bible? <laughs> he did. He did. 66 books, you know, and if you go through, through, you know, through, through the Psalms, you know, 18 times, you're going to see these words, do not be afraid. And by about the fourth or fifth time, the crowd kind of knew what was going to come. And so the crowd would, you know, chant with them every time. And he'd say, and, you know, and so Jesus Christ, if you go to the Gospels, there's 16 times that Jesus has these words in the whole crowd, do not be afraid. And, you know, with the Apostle Paul and John and Revelation, he went through the entire Bible. And I'm just, and, and, and I'm thinking, I think I know where this is going, but I have a fear of where it's going. And he gets done and he says, so, as you look at the entire Bible, God has a message for you. Here's the message. Do not be afraid. Here's our speaker, Jimmy Dodd. I've been preaching consistently for 40-some years. It's the maddest I've ever been preaching in my life. I was mad. I almost said, my, my, my first words, I, I mean, I just was praying, God, don't let me say what I want to say. Because I wanted to say, that's the biggest load of crap I've ever heard in my life. And I wanted to use words other than crap. You can use your own mind. I was furious. Why was I so furious? Because he shamed every person there. Because we are afraid. We are afraid. There's a lot to be afraid of. And when you say that's God's message for you, do not be afraid. All you're going to do is shame people. And the message was terrible that he shared 
Because every single verse, every single thing he said was taken wildly out of context. Because here's the truth. Here's the gospel truth. 364 times in the Bible it says, don't be afraid. 364 times. It's the most oft-repeated command in the scriptures. Do not be afraid. Every time. Every single time that that phrase is used, it's qualified with a promise from God. I'm with you. I'm going to fight for you. I'm for you. I'm your savior. I'm your redeemer. These things are true because I'm on your team every single time. Not most of the time, every time. And when you take passages that out of context and you start to say, hey, do not be anxious, do not be afraid, do not worry, that just creates shame and guilt in everybody because we're all afraid, we all have worries, we all have fears. I'm not going to go through 364 passages that take a long time, but I want to go through a few of them. Because I just want you to see how powerful this is and that this is a truth that is consistent throughout Scripture. So let's start to go through some of these passages here. It does say, do not be afraid. It's right there in Deuteronomy 3. But here's the context. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God himself will fight for you. That's the context. It does say, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be terrified. That is in there. But the context is, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. The word of God does say, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Don't be terrified. Don't be discouraged. That's in Joshua 1, 9. We love that passage. But then it says, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. That's his promise. The scripture does say, whom shall I fear? Of whom shall I be afraid in Psalm 27? But the context is, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? The word of God does say, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Here's the context. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. Is that not a beautiful passage? The Bible does say, I will trust and I will not be afraid. But here's the context. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. Here's why. Because the Lord, the Lord himself is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. That's the truth in the word of God. It does say, tell everyone who's discouraged, be strong. Don't be afraid, Isaiah 35, 4. But here's the context. God is coming to your rescue. That's the truth. The Bible does say, do not be afraid. But there's a context, and it's this. For I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. The Bible does say, don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. For I am with you. Do not be dismayed. For I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. It does say, do not be afraid. Once again, do not be afraid. But there's a context. I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not be afraid. I will help you. Do not be afraid, for the Lord himself will help you, declares the Lord your Redeemer. That's the context of the passage. Easy as can be, do not be afraid, for I am with you. Isaiah 43, 5, so powerful. 
Do not fear. We're told that clearly in Lamentations 3. But you came near when I called. You came near. You were there. And then you said, do not fear. We will not fear. Psalm 46, it's right there. But God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Do not be anxious about anything. That's, that's what Paul said, right? But there's a context. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's the promise. When I am afraid, not if I'm afraid, when I'm afraid, I will put my trust in you. Incredibly powerful. Do not be afraid, Luke 2. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. Why? Because I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Do not be afraid. Is that what we think about? Listen, if you hear the promises of God apart from the commands of God, it's a false gospel. You can stay home and watch uh, lots of pastors that preach prosperity gospel every week, and uh, that's, that's what they're preaching. They're trying to preach the promises of God with no commands of God. But if you preach the commands of God apart from the promises of God, it always consistently leads to shame. You see, if you preach the commands of God with the promises of God, if you preach them alongside the promises of God, if you preach them also in conjunction with the promises of God, if you preach them beside the promises of God, if you preach them in that way together with the promises of God, if you preach them in that way, it always and consistently leads to humility, to meekness, to godly confidence, to dependence upon Jesus, and to reliance upon the Holy Spirit. This church encourages me and blesses me because I know that what will consistently be preached here is the commands of God along with the promises of God. And if you have been to a church or a place in your life and you've heard the commands of God, stop being afraid, don't be anxious, don't fear, and you've not heard those linked with the promises of God, I'm so sorry. Because I know that for so many people that has led to places of deep shame and guilt and heartache, even depression, and we could go on and on. If that's your case, I'm so sorry. Because the Word of God has promises. And we have to preach the promises in conjunction with the commands. This is such a powerful passage before us today. Yeah, you know what? Don't be anxious. What's the promise? God loves you. God cares for you. He cares for you more than the birds of the air, more than the lilies of the field. He loves you so much more than these things, and yet he cares for them. He cares for you as well. We're in hard days. We're in hard days, there's no doubt. So how can we not be afraid? Because God is with us. Listen, the moment that we are in does not negate the mission that we are on. The mission is still there. To be those who love Jesus and proclaim the gospel and share with a lost and dying world 
a message of gospel that drives people into the arms of Jesus. And because Jesus bore the sting of our fear, because Jesus endured the cross, our fear is absorbed by his blood. And that leads us into the Lord's Supper. Why, why do we believe that God responds to us so harshly? We think, gosh, I'm pretty sure that God is angry with me. I'm pretty sure God is mad at me. I just have all of these struggles. You know, today as you take this meal, I want you to realize the depth of God's love for you. This meal is for those who trust Jesus. This meal is for those who walk after Jesus. And if you're not there, we're glad you're here, but we ask you not to partake of this meal. But today I would hope that you would just remember. If you're a parent, I want to trust that you're a good parent. And I want you to remember that God is a better parent to us than we are to our own children. That's actually a passage in the Sermon on the Mount. It'll come up, I want to guess, probably in a, about two months or so. But it says, says this in, in uh, let's see, Matthew 7, starting off in verse 7. Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. To the one who seeks, they will find. And to the one who knocks, it shall be open. Which one of you, if their son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good, good gifts to your children, how much more so will the Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? I want you to sense God wrapping you in his arms today in the midst of this time. As we sing and worship here, I want you to just think about God saying to you, I love you, I'm here for you. When your child has a nightmare and they cry out at night and they're screaming and you run in the room and you say, what's wrong? And they say, I had a nightmare. You know what you don't do as a parent? You don't say, what's wrong with you? Stop having nightmares. What's wrong with you, you dumb kid? You shouldn't be doing that. No parent does that. And yet, why do we think that that is the way that God deals with us in the midst of our anxiety and fear and worry and depression? When your child has a nightmare, any parent rushes in the room. Any parent says the exact same thing. It's okay, I'm here. You're not alone. I'm right here. Hear those words from God to you today. In the midst of the nightmares of your life, you're not alone. He is right there. He is wrapping his arms around you. He loves you. He cares for you. He's for you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you that in the midst of anxiety and worry and fear and depression, that you are there as a gentle, kind, good, loving parent, wrapping your arms around us, saying, it's okay.
It's okay. I'm here. I'm right here. You're not going to be alone. You'll never be alone. I am right here. Father, we know that worry and fear and anxiety, that's, it's, it's a part of life, but we want, we want the ability to see with spiritual eyes the fact that Jesus is bigger. The fact that you are with us. You fight for us. You're our champion, our savior, our redeemer. Father, these are real struggles. But we thank you that your blood was real. The sacrifice that you made on our behalf was real. And so we pray that as we partake of this meal this day, that we would remember the depth of your care for us and that we would stand in awe. We would stand in awe at what you have accomplished for us. We trust you for these things. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Thank you for joining us online. Leeway Baptist Church exists to glorify God by making disciples of all nations. For more information about us and our ministry, please visit us at www.leewoodbaptist.com.